Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The national debate over gun control is front and center again. On today's show, we talk with a mass shooting survivor who is now a gun safety advocate. We also speak with an emergency room physician and member of the state legislature. And we walk through the process of buying a gun from a federally licensed dealer. During the first weekend of August, mass shootings in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio, brought the debate over gun control and weapons restrictions back to the halls of power, the kitchen table, and the water cooler. As many states consider proposals to tighten gun laws, we take a look at laws here in Arizona. Compared to other states, Arizona's gun laws are not very restrictive. While the federal Constitution's Second Amendment protects a person's right to own a firearm, Arizona's Constitution is more explicit. Article 2 of the state Constitution says, quote, The right of the individual citizen to bear arms in defense of himself or the state shall not be impaired. Alan Corwin, author of the Arizona Gun Owner's Guide, says how the state ranks when it comes to gun rights depends on how you view guns. Guns and Ammo magazine ranked Arizona number one five years in a row based on our laws. If you look at the Brady Group or Moms Demand Freedom, they rank us literally last because the freedoms are robust. Arizona is an open carry state. That means if you own a weapon, you can carry it in a holster on your hip or slung over your shoulder. Current law says you can't carry it into a bar if there's a sign prohibiting guns. That also applies to any private business. You also can't take a gun to a school unless it's unloaded and locked in your car. But not everyone can buy a gun. State law defines prohibited possessors as convicted felons who have not had their rights restored, people who are in the United States without legal documentation, and anyone a court has determined is mentally incompetent. In Arizona, you can carry a concealed weapon with or without a permit. Those permits are issued by the Arizona Department of Public Safety. Bart Graves with DPS says getting a concealed weapons permit in Arizona is not difficult. You just go on our website and, uh, and fill out an application. The concealed weapons unit will uh, do a check of, of you and make sure you're not a prohibited possessor, that kind of thing, and then communicate with you uh, by email and by general mail whether you uh, are going to have been awarded the permit or denied the permit. The applicant must also complete a training course, which many gun shops provide. In Tucson, one of those shops is R&A Tactical. The shop's owner, Ed Chavez, is a retired Tucson police officer. He says the class is full of information. They're going to learn the uh, do's and don'ts of uh, carrying concealed, where they can enter, not enter. They're going to also learn uh, deadly force uh, and serious physical injury force, things like that. You know, it gives them an idea into the laws pertaining to the use of deadly force and carrying concealed. We'll hear more from Ed later in the show about the process of purchasing a weapon. While a concealed weapons permit isn't required in Arizona, Graves with the Department of Public Safety says it brings some additional privileges. One major benefit to having a CCW is having reciprocity with other states who recognize the Arizona permit. That means a permit holder can carry a concealed weapon in nearly every other state, and concealed weapon permit holders from those states can carry their weapons here. 
The Department of Public Safety says nearly 350,000 people have concealed weapons permits in Arizona. According to their data, most are men. Like other states, in Arizona you can buy a gun through a licensed dealer which requires a background check or from a friend, a relative, or at a gun show. Those do not require a background check. Now we turn to the issue of gun control. On January 8, 2011, Tucson experienced a mass shooting at a Safeway parking lot. Six people were killed, 13 others were wounded. One of them was Pam Simon. The former middle school teacher has since become a nationally recognized advocate for gun control. When the El Paso shooting happened, she was at a meeting of thousands of advocates like herself in Washington, D.C. The punch to the stomach it is to everyone, but especially those that have experienced gun violence or have had a loved one taken by gun violence, it was just staggering. So there was a pause, but by the time we'd gathered for dinner, we were angry. And at that point, we began to stream out and go over to the White House where we were joined by lots and lots of students from March for Our Lives and other people began to hear about it. And I think by the time evening settled, there were over a thousand. Was that plan to go to the White House? Was that already in the works? Absolutely for this? not. No, absolutely not. Uh, there was a full program plan for that evening. And as gun violence does, it disrupts lives. Does it get any easier as a survivor as time goes by when you hear news like this? A difficult question because you never know what will re-traumatize. But obviously, um, those of us that have experienced gun violence firsthand and those of us that were involved in a mass shooting, such as Tucson was, we can picture exactly what's happening. The phone calls, the relatives getting into planes, the press getting into planes, the funerals being planned, the memorials being planned. And it's almost like it's become an American ritual and it should not be an American ritual. Some have described you and others who are involved with groups like Moms Demand Action as anti-gun. Is that an accurate description? Absolutely not. In fact, many of our active volunteers, many of the survivors, are gun owners, are active hunters, and enjoy sport shooting. What we are is wanting responsible gun ownership and to save lives through that responsible gun ownership. What do you want to see happen when it comes to state and federal legislation regarding guns? Well, we do know that there are many things that work, and one of them is background checks on all gun purchases. And so we're working very hard to get a, a federal law, and one has passed the House, and it was named House Bill 8 after January 8th in honor of Gabby, their former member. And that is now sitting in the Senate with the companion bill. And Mitch McConnell, at this point, leader of the Senate, has refused to let it come to the floor. We absolutely, absolutely have to have our leaders be more responsible. In the 25-some states that have passed state background check laws, we have seen a significant, almost a 30% drop in suicides, a drop in domestic violence murders, and a drop in police murders. So we know that this 
is something that will help. The other is a red flag law. It makes it possible for police or a loved one where they see one of their family members or an individual that may be a danger to themselves or others to have a judge give a ruling that allows for temporary removal of those firearms. Now, would that stop everyone? No. But could it have stopped in Tucson? Yes. Do you feel like any difference is being made or... Are you all just pounding your heads against marble columns in various state and federal capitals? (laughs) Absolutely not. We are seeing victories pile up. It will take time. We say over and over, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I want to share with you just a few victories that came out of the 2018 midterms. We elected 171 gun sense candidates to Congress, 15 gun sense governors. And when I say gun sense, I mean ones that are going to back sensible gun legislation, 12 gun sense attorney generals, and 16 survivors of gun violence or Moms to Men Action or activists in the movement were elected to public office. This is obviously a serious subject, yet you always have a smile. Are you hopeful that something can happen? I always have a smile, or I often have a smile, because one, I am just grateful for every day. That bullet missed my heart by a quarter of an inch. I got to live to see my grandchildren, and I get to watch the sunrise. So um, yes, I smile because I am grateful, and I also smile because I believe that we are going to, within the next few years, make this the safer country it needs to be. And we will do that by electing people that care more about our safety than about the money that is lining their pocket from the gun lobby. All right. Thanks for sitting down with us. It was a pleasure, Christopher. Thank you. That was Pam Simon, a survivor of Tucson's January 8th mass shooting and a gun safety advocate. A new poll released by OH Predictive Insights in Phoenix shows 56% of those questioned in Arizona are more likely to vote for a presidential candidate who supports gun safety legislation. Broken down by party, 32% of Republicans said they would be more likely to back a candidate who supports gun safety legislation. For independents, it's 59% and 79% for Democrats. This week, we're joining the renewed national debate about guns. As we learned earlier in the show, Arizona does not have many restrictions on gun owners. But how do you legally get a gun? For that, we turn to Ed Chavez. He's a retired Tucson police officer and owner of R&A Tactical, a gun shop in Tucson. He walked us through a typical purchase. There's a form they have to fill out. It's called a 4473. That'll have their, uh, their name, their address, their date of birth, uh, where they were born, things like that. And then they have some yes and no questions that they have to answer. After they completely fill that out, then I will check it to make sure that it's been completely filled out and correctly filled out. And then I will call the FBI NICS background check. They'll ask me for uh, specific information off the form. And then they'll uh, give me a yes, a proceed, a denied, or a delay, whichever fits the, uh, the customer. How long does it take? Does this constitute a waiting period? No, it's, it's called an instant background check. 
and uh, it shouldn't take you. By the time you fill it out, I do my part of what I have to fill out. Calling in the background check, it shouldn't take more than 10, 15 minutes maybe. And then I can walk on out the door with whatever I've decided Correct. to purchase. Because your background check cleared the FBI's, uh, whatever you want to call it, investigation or, or their check of you, then yes, you can walk out with the gun. You're a licensed firearm dealer. What does that mean? Well, I mean, it gives me access to uh, distributors, uh, pricing, things like that, uh, purchasing wholesale. And it's, it's regulated, you know, I mean, I had to do things per how ATF wants everything done. I can't just sell guns across the counter and out the door. There has to be paperwork done with it. And then sometimes you'll have ATF call you wanting to know some information on a certain weapon or who it would have been sold to, so you have that information to give them. Do the gun shows and the private dealers who can sell out of the back of their trunk right in front of your store, do they hurt your business or is that just part of it? That's just part of it. I mean, I don't, I don't get concerned with if it's going to hurt me or not. I used to have my store up at Thornydale and Horizon Hills right next to Sportsman's Warehouse. And uh, I wasn't concerned with it because we have a different agenda. You know, they're also into camping gear and fishing rods and things like that, which I wasn't. I'm more into the, you know, tactical gear and things like that. You also offer gun safety courses that can qualify for CCW permits. Are they popular? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'll have a uh, concealed carry class on the 31st of this month. Uh, I only take 10 students, but I already have five signed up. So usually by the time the class rolls around, I'm full. Recently talking to a friend of mine and she said she's getting ready to buy a gun, her first gun, and she said she was going to get a concealed permit because she wanted to take that class because that's how she felt responsible. Is that something you hear a lot because Arizona is an open carry state? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, if you carry concealed in a place that serves alcohol for consumption, you have to have a permit. It's a $300 fine if you don't and you get caught. Uh, there's 35 other states that uh, have reciprocity with us. And the things that a lot of people like is that with a permit, we don't have to call in a background check. It foregoes the Brady background check. There's always talk about expanding background checks. You're someone who deals with it every day. Are expanded background checks needed, or is what does your experience tell well, you? What I need is for someone to clearly paint for me a picture of what they're meaning by extended background checks. I don't, I don't get it. Now, here's what I'm into, and what I argue about all the time is that there's a lot of questions on this form that aren't in the database for the background check. And I'm going to give you a, a for instance, and it's a question Question 11F, and I'll read it for you. Have you ever been adjudicated as a mental defective or have you ever been committed to a mental institution? If you fall under that category and you come in to buy a gun and you mark no, do I know if you're lying to me? Absolutely not. Does the FBI background check know that? Absolutely not. Why? Because it's not in the database. Why isn't it in a database? Because we don't want to violate that person's HIPAA laws, right? So make the decision. 
do we put that in the database or do we allow somebody who's mentally defective legally buy a gun and go out and shoot 30 people? So when you talk to or hear gun control advocates, one of the things they say is, we don't need assault rifles, we don't need extended magazines and all of those things. For people who aren't involved in the shooting sports, how do you answer that? Listen, I've been uh, around guns and own guns for many, many, many years. I was eight years old hunting with my dad. Like this morning, I had a person go, I don't think, and pointed to the AK and said, I don't think those should be on the street. And I go, well, you know what, sir? I have AKs and ARs, but they're not on the street. They're locked up in my house. They're not hurting anybody or injuring anyone. Now, people have to remember that our founding fathers, when they made the Second Amendment, they didn't just come back from a hunting trip. They had just, you know, liberated the country from, you know, government tyranny from another country. So that's why the Second Amendment was made. You know, I was a police officer for 23 years. I, I saw what was going on on the street. And I don't want to be a victim. I, I would rather be, I don't know if this is gonna sound right, I would rather be a victim that was killed attempting to protect myself than to cower in a corner. Does that make sense to you? So that's the way I look at it. All right, well, thanks for your time. Absolutely. That was Ed Chavez, the owner of R&A Tactical and a retired police officer. In 2014, the National Shooting Sports Foundation reported that 20 million people participated in target shooting. The foundation said last year that number could be as high as 50 million when friends and family who accompany shooters are taken into account. For comparison, in 2014, about 26 million people said they played golf. Author Alan Corwin says the numbers show a bias. The shooting sports are the number two participant sport in the country, but it gets no coverage. But golf, by comparison, which is only number three, gets coverage all the time. The media calls murder shooting. Shooting is a sport, murder is a crime. Corwin says those who want to ban bump stocks, large capacity magazines, or assault weapons are looking at the issue in the wrong way. Assault is a type of behavior, Christopher. It's not a type of firearm. And this has been over and over in the news. Assault is a thing you do. It's not a thing you own. And the idea of banning the best firearms there are the kind the police want for defense of themselves and to stop crime, the idea of banning that for the public is a very bad idea. Why do the police want an AR-15? Because it's the best gun. It's the easiest to operate, the easiest to maintain. It doesn't jam. That's why so many people want it. The fact that a criminal will use a gun to commit a crime, we should do something about the criminals and the psychopaths but the medical establishment stands in the way of that, and I don't hear a lot of reporting on the medical establishment. The poll from OH Predictive Insights found 64% of Arizonans support banning assault-style weapons, 62% support banning high-capacity magazines, 84% support preventing gun sales to people who have been reported as dangerous to law enforcement by a mental health provider and 82% support raising the age to purchase a gun from 18 to 21. We now turn to Dr. Randy Fries. He was on duty in the emergency room at Banner University Medical Center on January 8th. Then in 2015, he was sworn in as a member of the Arizona legislature. 
He's now the assistant minority party leader in the state house. He says since he was elected, nothing other than the number of mass shootings has changed. The Democrats have proposed gun safety legislation year over year for every year I've been in the legislature and and before. But I know that personally I have submitted and um, introduced uh, comprehensive background check legislation, uh, which is very well supported in the public. Um, we've introduced um, uh, mental health evaluation firearm injunction legislation, which is sort of like an extreme risk protection order or red flag law, if you will. Um, we've we've introduced uh, safe storage legislation, meaning that you're held accountable if you don't store your weapons safely and a child injures themselves or another child. The year that that young reporter was shot live on air, that very session, I introduced a bill just to say, let's study this issue. If we can't come to some agreement during the session when we're very busy, let's take the time in this in the interim. And I suggest that we have second right amendment people, gun safety people, media, mental health, sheriffs, police chiefs to sit down as in a committee and have data presented and see if we can't come up with some idea of where we're starting, some definitions, some legislation. I really think that the voters want their policymakers to take a step forward in this issue. What do voters need to do? Because you talk to people on the street, you hear support for this, but once it gets into the halls of the legislature, it seems to go away. What do voters need to do to convince those in power, right now Republicans, to let these bills run? Become a one-issue voter. This is a public health crisis. And if you feel strongly that your policymaker is not doing enough and they're dodging this issue, they're ducking, I think you should consider electing someone who will address this issue. The governor two years ago tried something similar to red flag legislation and it didn't go through and he really hasn't pushed it much since then. Could it possibly go through this year? Well, let me caution you. What the governor proposed in 2018 was not a standard extreme risk protective order language. It was not your standard red flag bill. It was a cumbersome, watered down version that I believed was not a meaningful change and could, in fact, make it things worse than they currently are. Refresh everyone's memories what his bill was supposed to do and what you would like to have seen it do. Well, his bills did several things. Um, uh, he was tightening up some of the data collection around the um, concealed carry process. And he was um, putting in place a, a scenario where someone through a judge could get someone evaluated and have their weapon uh, taken away for a period of time, seven days, 14 days, up to six months, depending on each step of that evaluation. And I believed it was too cumbersome. We had a bill, I had a bill and Katie Hobbs had a bill in the Senate, exactly the same bill that was less cumbersome, very, very, very well prescribed algorithm saying this step, this step, this step, and then the gun is removed for one year. And there was a due process appeal if, you know, if that one year was felt to be too long, but it was much more delineated, not as cumbersome. We hear a lot about background checks. You mentioned background checks. What does a mandated background check look like? One of the first bills I wrote in my first term was a, a comprehensive background check bill for all gun purchases. What that means is, and what the statute, what, what I wrote in the bill says, every gun purchase must occur through federally licensed firearm dealer. That person, the federally licensed firearm dealer, has access to the criminal instant background check system. 
And that's it. It doesn't take long. If you are a law-abiding citizen and you are adding simply minutes to you being able to make a legal purchase. What that means is every single purchase, gun show, garage, backyard, wherever, every single personal purchase. Now, believe me, we put in exceptions because we understand that, you know, this is America. We, we have a constitutionally protected right to have a firearm. If you were to give your firearm to your relative as a gift, that was ex there was an exception for that. No background check needed. If you had an antique firearm and you were passing that on to someone, no background check needed. If you were loaning your weapon for, to someone for sporting, once again, no background check needed. So we, And as in any law, it needs to be flexible and malleable. And if we find that it's being over-interpreted, we can correct it with a statutory change. But I believe that we need to take the first step. And if you look at the electorate, the voters, the citizens, polls demonstrate over and over and again they strongly support a system of comprehensive background checks as a potential first step in addressing gun violence in America. You were one of the physicians on duty uh, January 8th when we in Tucson had our mass shooting. What did you learn there that you've taken to the legislature and just life in general when it comes to gun control? Well, I like to I like to refer to this issue as gun safety and responsible gun ownership. We are not trying to take anyone's guns away. And when we say gun control, it connotates that. And that is not the intention here. The intention is to say, if you are a gun owner, we're asking you to be responsible and safe. And uh, we want to pass legislation that encourages that and requires that. What I bring from my, my day job is, you know, this is a problem that touches people unexpectedly. I had to tell a mother of a seven-year-old child who was standing in the doorway of their home when there was gunfire in the street. He got shot in the abdomen, and he came to us. We operated on him, and he passed away. It's a difficult thing to do, telling a loved one, especially a mother, that their child has passed away. Yeah, so it, that, that's what I think I bring is that, that sense of urgency. And this problem is something that I think the voters and the citizens want us to address and that we have been shirking that responsibility. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. My pleasure, Christopher. Thank you. That was Randy Fries, an ER doctor and member of the Arizona legislature. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Emma Gibson helped with field recordings this week. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.